Hello cult hackers and welcome to the podcast. I'm Celine, a media graduate with an interest in cults. And I'm Stephen Mather. I'm an organisational psychologist. Um, also very interested in cults because I was raised in one for the first 30 years of my life and left um, when Celine was born. So mm. welcome to the podcast, everyone. So should we just go straight in with uh, what we're talking about today? Yes. So what is the topic today? Our topic episode yeah. is about grief, guilt, um, what else? <laughs> all the all the happy emotions. <laughs> yeah. Sadness, <laughs> deep yeah. despair. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you know from our podcast that we we tend not to wallow. We try not to wallow in um in in lots of negative emotions. We can't avoid them, of course, because there are lots of horrible things that happen and the process of leaving is sometimes really, really difficult and we don't shy away from that. But I think we, we also want to um, demonstrate that, you know, there is a life after and happiness is possible. In fact, is very, very likely if you get past some of the, the early stages and um, yeah. So anyway, we're going to, we're going to explore all that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, if you feel that talking about grief and sadness might, be too much for you then that's absolutely cool but um i hope that um you'll stay with us and you know we'll we'll try not to make it uh depressing but still talk about some of the real emotions that people have um and i you know can talk to some of that personally mm-hmm. i think a lot of people know that you don't explicitly need a death to experience grief mm. yeah. um but i think it's still worth talking about because not everybody thinks about um losing something as a grieving process um you know it's well well let's start there Celine let's let's try and define mm. it what do we mean what do we mean anyway when we're talking about grief? yeah yeah so I think it's um yeah for, for me I suppose the reason we're talking about it in this context is because grief is about losing something um yeah. and that can be a person that can be a way of life a culture a cult a belief system you mm. like um it's yeah lo- losing something that means a lot to you i yeah. would say absolutely so i'd agree with all of those although i would say nobody grieves leaving a cult they grieve mm. all of the things that um went along with it i suppose mm-hmm. so um yeah as you said family connections yeah. meaning and purpose um mm-hmm. history uh, your feeling of you know all the things that yourself. you've done, your identity, yourself, all of these mm-hmm. are are things that potentially you feel like you've either lost or have been severely mm-hmm. knocked, I suppose. Yeah, so it grieves the you you were before if you joined a cult because you think, wow, I, I left her behind, him behind to become yeah. this cult self and you kind of grieve that, you grieve what you could have had. Um, it doesn't even, yeah, it doesn't even have to be things that, you did have and you lost sometimes you grieve things that you never had that you were promised that you didn't get Mm. yeah or you know once you're fully on the other side you grieve time lost as well yeah and um you grieve the opportunities lost um so yeah you never necessarily did xyz thing but you grieve that you didn't um and you yeah. might not have is the thing. This is yeah. what makes it very complicated. You might have been mm. on exactly the same path you are now mm. and doing what you are now, you know, but you don't know and you grieve the the loss of opportunity. 
Yeah, that's absolutely that's really well put, actually. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's that road not traveled. Everybody has those feelings, I think, from time to time. You know, what mm-hmm. if I'd made this decision rather than that decision? What if I'd not done this? Um Rem- and remorse think- and regret is not exclusive to court survivors absolutely not that's right and so I think we're all familiar with that but with with them coming out of a of a high control group I think it's the it's the grief so the grief is the I feel it's more of a passive um Mm -hmm. emotion so it's like something's happened to you um or somebody's done something to you or somebody else is responsible or circumstances are responsible Whereas I think um, anger, something like that, is more active because you feel like you, um, you you kind of want to do something about it or you feel like there's somebody that you can blame for that. So grief, you can have grief without anybody being to blame, whereas anger normally is directed at a person. That's the way I see it. Maybe yeah. that's not the definition dictionary-wise, but that's the way I see it. We're talking about it from our yeah, kind of point of view today so, yeah. and, and rap unraveling and and playing with it as an idea you know um yeah trying to trying to (laughs) get to grips with it it's very complicated very um far-reaching emotion touches lots of other parts of you um and i guess yeah in in the cult um, instance anger and grief often come together because you feel it feels more (laughs) yeah you you know what I'm trying to get. There at. Is, well, there is a there is a, either a person mm-hmm. or some sort of entity that you can direct your the blame mm-hmm. towards, and at that point, that's when it starts to become more, I guess, active, or or that's mm-hmm. when anger comes in. I mean, I think most people have heard of the Kubler Ross stages of grief, and mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a layperson's way of explaining yeah. grief. Is it real? <laughs> Or is it just a good way of talking about it? Either or, I suppose it doesn't really matter. But well, the Kubler Ross um, stages, yes, um, it is a real thing, and mm-hmm. it's it has uh, a lot of quite decent evidence mm-hmm. um, to suggest that there is definitely something there. It's also used quite extensively, or has been used in some counseling um mm-hmm. models and so on and again always a caveat when i'm talking about this because i have studied psychology doesn't mean that i am a clinical psychologist or know anything about um therapy or counseling so i'm not qualified um in that area but when but, we're looking at it as a research piece to understand yeah, yeah and obviously i think i like you like most people have heard of this so mm-hmm. the the five stages according to this are denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance um i think one of the so from what i understand one of the big things that people get wrong is they expect it to be kind of like a step-by-step process as if you go through one and then you go through the next one and then you go through the next one and it's like a linear process mm-hmm. um but my understanding is is that's not the case that you might hit one or two of those at different times you might come back to denial you might mm-hmm. get over your anger then you get get into depression um you might come back. so it's not a simple linear process um my experience with the Kubler-Ross curve is more to do with um organizations so it's actually used as a change uh model mm. um and so HR people will study 
when I say study, I, I, I mean, look at a couple of slides about mm-hmm. the Kubler-Ross curve. If they do a CIPD, which is like in the UK, the HR professional body. Um, so people who are professional HR people, human resources people will have some understanding of this, but they, they use it as a change model. So the idea, let, let's say, um, let's say that there's going to be some redundancies or there's going to be a change in the way that the organization works. So let's say a company gets bought out and there's you know, new structures and new, new things happening. So this is a change situation in the workplace. And so the Kubler-Ross curve there is, is applied. So there is an expectation that when you first announce to the workforce that we're now going to be merged with this company, that there's going to be some denial there. So people are going to say, well, that's never going to work. You know, that's not going to happen. Or, um, you know, I'm not sure that that actually we're going to, that'll ever yeah, because so, there's normally a period of due diligence or something like that where there's a bit of uncertainty. So during those phases, people generally say, nah, I don't think it's going to happen. Or even if it's a, a fait accompli, people might still deny that it's going to happen or that it will have any impact upon them. So it's kind of that's the denial bit. And then when they realize that it's actually going to happen, then um, anger kicks in. That's when, you know, the realization happens and they get. They get really angry about it. Um, the bargaining bit is where, okay, well, if we could do this, what about this? Could we avoid this change? Could we do that? Could we do that? Um, then people move to depression. Um, obviously, they become disheartened by all oh, it's going to happen. They're really upset about it. And then um, then acceptance over time starts. People start to re evaluate it in their mind make sense of the change and they will then come to accept it now i i have always kicked against that quite hard actually my own in my own view um so even before i studied organizational psychology um i was uh working as a trainer in an organization which was which was making a bunch of people redundant including my team um and I remember the HR director saying to me, basically, you know, that, that this is what's happening. This is what happens. And it was like, you just have to accept that it's going to go through that process. And nothing, it's almost like nothing the organization could do would would make that either move faster or slower or anything. It's just like a, almost like a natural process, like falling down. It's like nothing you can do about it. It's gravity. It's a law of the universe. And I completely reject that. I think there's things that an organization can do to make that easier or more difficult, or actually, you know, essentially you don't have to go through every one of those stages if, if things are done properly. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it applies as a kind of natural law to, all situations but that's my experience of it um but i think it's kind of that might be relevant to coming out of groups as well so it, it it'd be wrong to expect people to just go through these stages or expect ourselves to just okay well i'm going to go through these stages whatever happens and i've just got to put up with it sort of thing well, there are things that you can do to help yourself to go through those that process in a more uh, or a less painful way i believe I think the thing that's difficult is that it feels like it's being, yeah, described as like a natural process. Um, So then the idea of kind of actively trying to shape the process feels like, well, how would you even begin 
mm. to do that um do, do you feel like from your point of view obviously you came out do you feel like do you feel like you went through the process of of those things and, and do you think you were mindful of it or do you think it was just happening like obviously it's all retrospective now I mean I, it, I think I can when I look at it now I can definitely see um some of those stages but again I definitely wouldn't uh describe it as being a linear process so mm-hmm. um and and you have to because of the nature of this it's a it's a purely a construct so you have to uh, work to make it fit a specific situation really so it is only a a model and all models are just approximations of the reality they just make it a bit easier so that's all this is doing it's kind of a bit simpler to understand it's kind of simplifying everything um but if i was to think about my leaving i think the denial bit first and it depends when you want to to think i mean i I went through probably about 10 years Mm -hmm. of denial really more than 10 years 15 years of denial actually in that i was still a member of the organization even though i knew that i didn't believe it or at least i i felt i didn't believe it Mm. yeah so i was denying that i was actually um i suppose deep down what we call um pimo really i i i was i didn't believe a lot of the things or at least i i struggled to believe it and it's really hard it's hard to explain how you can struggle to believe something but it's Mm. like holding that line i struggled to hold that line but really wanted to so i i you know the cognitive dissonance was uh was strong um (laughs) and so i think during that period there was a lot of denial actually um when i finally decided to make the break then yeah anger definitely but that took quite some time so there was a there was actually a bit of a a gap between the denial bit and the anger bit so for leaving a group sorry go on yeah because i was gonna say for me i never experienced the denial of what Mm. you going through that right so as like an observer for for me the story picks up at angry (laughs) yeah um but obviously yeah you did go through a process but yeah i I know you got to angry but i don't know when that hit yeah so I I think that in between, again, this isn't a model that's designed for this. So Mm. this is why it's only, um, it can only be, yeah, yeah, you can make of it the best you can. But, um, but I felt that after denial actually was euphoria. So Mm. I felt euphoria after denial. If we're going to use this model, I was Mm. absolutely joyful because finally that cognitive dissonance had gone and I could, um I, I and I've I've said this many times, um probably bored with hearing it, but I do remember that walk um that I took when I made my decision in that little house mm-hmm. that we rented when we first moved back home. And um I I walked around the estate, the sky was the bluest blue I'd ever seen, the birds were singing, and it was it was like it was like um you know, in the Wizard of Oz, when the when it's black and white to start with, and then it mm. it goes color. It was like that. It just felt absolutely amazing, um, and so that that was that was the next stage for me. It was the the after the denial was the um, was the joy. It was it was euphoria. But then then what I started to do was feel or recognize, notice all of those years, um, and the choices that I'd made and 
the and that was it really it was the regret of all the wasted years i think that was the mm-hmm. biggest sort of source of anger so that that tended to kick in i would say a couple of years later actually it took a bit of time mm-hmm. when i started to think about you know actually i I'm doing this job and I don't really like it and mm. but I don't have any qualifications and I really always wanted to stay on at school and then you know I'd, I'd always admired people who'd gone to university and I wanted to study that and I wanted to I wanted to study science I was really interested in science in various forms and I just um I'd love sport at school I was quite good at football soccer and never got a chance to to pursue that um so you start to think about all the things that mm-hmm. you've lost and that's yeah absolutely where this is where it becomes a grieving process I suppose mm-hmm. and that's when the anger kicks in very quickly for me yeah so I think it's interesting we're talking about the stages of grief and you were almost in the stages of grief before you knew you were <laughs> because the denial you don't even know by its very nature you don't know you're in it and like so that lasts yeah. sort of like 10 yeah. years and that's before you've left. So you haven't even left or lost anything yet, mm. technically, but you're already grieving it in a way. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it depends on what you're defining as mm. grieving over. I mean, if you talk about grieving your identity, you know, grieving mm. who you are, then yeah, definitely mm. that's mm-hmm. that's kind of happening or was happening for me for years before I left. Because obviously I'm at some level, I'm thinking about who I want to be and who I am, you know, so I'm I'm not. I'm not pursuing what I really want to be able to do. I'm not fulfilling what I see as my potential and all of those things. Um, yeah. And it's um, it. Yeah. I think that, I, yes, that's right. So during that period, yes, there is denial. If you're talking about the grief of like losing friends and family and loved ones, if you leave a cult or a high control group, then that's a bit of a different sort of group. So in a way that, um, so I think the denial there might be that, you know, well, I, I'm going to leave, but I think that nothing's going to change. You know, I'll still be able to um, associate with my friends and family. And um, so long as I don't make waves, so long as I don't say anything, then, then, you know, that we can still maintain um, the same relationship mm-hmm. as we had before these are my friends these are people that care about me these are, this is my family mm-hmm. I think for lots of people there is this hope that that yeah okay so I've left this religion I've left this cult left this group but you know the people that love me still love me and mm-hmm. will still um will still it'll that. still be the same mm-hmm. and that I suppose that's the denial that also can can happen it's, yeah it's multifaceted yeah bring several different grieving processes happening um like in um conjunction or like f- following on from each other you go through one process finish Coming that as, as a well. new process yeah, yeah. yeah. um because yeah you've got yeah the denial of the religion itself um and the, the belief systems but then yeah once you fully leave um, so I suppose you could even say that was one process in itself. You go through all of that, you finally leave, your acceptance of leaving, whatever. And then yeah, you've got the new grief of of yeah, the the, the things that you realise you lost. It's it, it's not it's not simple. <laughs> it's not simple, it's not linear. And um the uh, I guess this is where so I, I tend not to use this word very much because um, some people take against it but the Mm. whole triggering Mm. word and the whole point of that I guess is that you may have gone through that process Mm -hmm. 
and then something happens and it takes you back and it, it takes you back mm-hmm. so um and i think like recently uh over the last couple of weeks actually the uh, there's been quite a bit of news about jehovah's witnesses in the press mm-hmm. and on television mm-hmm. in the uk um and and i think that's for lots of us that's brought back quite a lot of feelings um i think anger is is probably <laughs> quite high on that yeah. list of, yeah. of feelings that it's brought back so this is why the this if this process so-called is israel the kubler curve it's not a linear one you can mm-hmm. you come backwards and forwards and, mm-hmm. and so i think you know that's been a that's been something that lots of us have been experiencing really i suppose um accepting that just because you reached acceptance doesn't mean you won't go back <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. um because yeah. yeah it's not it's not done dusted and over as we've discussed so many times with people um they think right that's good i survived that i'm done now moving on with yeah, my life and then right. it comes back and it's you know you've got to face this thing or that thing that affected you um yeah, that's or, right. Or you, yeah, or you try and deny it, and then it pops up. <laughs> yeah, and and I don't think you should beat yourself up if you do that, actually, because you know, I, no, we you kind need of time. All, we, <laughs> and also, it's okay to um, have periods where you think, yeah, do you know what? I've sorted that out, um, and then yeah, it allows okay, you so to do things. That's right. Know, you exists. get a slap in the face again, but at least you've been able to do things in between, and you can yeah. take pride in the achievements that okay. you've made. So yeah, I think that's that's absolutely fine. Don't beat yourself up if you mm-hmm. realise. Do you know what? I haven't quite dealt with this. Will you ever actually deal with it 100%? Um, if you wait till that, then you might never get anything done. No, so. exactly. Let let it let it happen in the stages yeah. it happens. Let it flow. Yeah. <laughs> Live uh, in the moments that and enjoy the moments where yeah. it's okay and you feel okay. And of course, I'm not I'm not suggesting don't get help and and so on. That's really mm-hmm. important. Um, so that's not an excuse not to get to get support but um but yeah it's okay if um mm-hmm. if you realize years later that yeah there's some bits yeah. I, I kind of need to revisit yeah. that and also some people um will have stints where they use therapy and then stints where they don't feel they need it yeah. and then they might go back to it like again that doesn't it's not like you complete therapy get a gold star and you're like i am right. now mentally healthy and good <laughs> i Absolutely. win at, at the brain good you know you, you yeah, use yeah. it as it's a tool you use it yeah. as and when you need it Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I, I just dropped in there about the, mm. the the stuff that's been going on. Uh, now might be a good time to just mention that. Yeah, for sure. So we, we don't, um, as we said last time, we tend not to try to keep up with the local latest news because our podcasts often take a couple of weeks to actually come out. So yeah, things obviously go cold. So we tend not to talk about stuff that's in the news, but I think this is unlikely to go very cold. So what's been happening in the UK, I'm sure that anybody who's an ex-Jehovah's Witness knows about this, but others might not. Um, there's been a documentary by somebody called Rebecca Vardy. Rebecca Vardy is a, I mean, ultimately, she's a footballer's wife, um, which is, a, or a soccer player's wife. They mm-hmm. get called wags over here, wives and girlfriends um, of football players. It's all fairly... Um, patriarchal i suppose in some respects Mm -hmm. um but anyway that's that's who she is and um there was a bit of a court case involving another wife of a footballer which was quite big she's she's a kind of influencer um so she definitely doesn't walk in the circles that i pay any attention to rebecca vardy um this this woman but she revealed recently that she was raised as a jehovah's witness which 
um she decided all of a sudden you have a lot in common then all of a sudden i'm really interested in this person yeah um and so she did a documentary on one of our terrestrial channels channel four um about her story and it was a full documentary where she essentially led the documentary and interviewed a number of different people and talked about her own experience as well she um talks about her own sexual abuse as a child being raised in the organization and the way the organization responded to that Mm -hmm. if you can catch it it would be i think you'd find it really interesting um in the uk it's on channel four um around the world i don't know how you access it i know it was on youtube for a while somebody put it up there i don't know how long it'll stay there Mm -hmm. um but you might be able to find it um but it's it's a very interesting documentary doesn't tell us anything we don't know i would also say but sorry but well done i should say that very well done i also want to say how much i appreciate we appreciate the work of all the people that took part in that Mm -hmm. um i don't want to sort of go through a list of names because there were so many and they have all bravely sat in front of a camera um and talked about their experience and what they knew um and that was really obviously going to be really really difficult and I absolutely take my hat off to them there were former elders there there were people who'd grown up in the organization um I I will name Jason Wynn because Jason Wynn is a very well-known activist from the XJW community who has a a website called Mm avoidjw.org um and He's announced he's retiring from activism. So I just wanted to to say to him, thank you very much for all the work he's done. Um, and he was a big part of that program as well. Uh-huh. And we got to see this huge database he's got. Uh, he's got a huge computer there with all of the data on from way back when um, about, you know, articles in the Watchtower and mm-hmm. videos and all of that. So anyway, so that's what's been going on. Sorry about the rambling description, Celine. But, no, it's good. yeah, so so getting on to the anger bit. So I suppose my emotions watching the program um, were not so angry because all the things that were talked about there, I, I knew happens. Um, so that shock of and um, kind of, you know, that, that, that wasn't there. Um, obviously, I felt lots of sympathy for... Rebecca Vardy and what she'd been through and also what some of the the other people that featured on the program had gone through um but I also felt enormous pride in them and um excitement's not quite the right word but a real feeling of thank goodness that it's this sort of thing is being exposed to a, a wider audience people that are not really that interested in cults and uh, the things we talk about you know um these are just ordinary people who who are just watching a program about somebody who's a um a sort of well-known name um and they're seeing something perhaps for the first time about an organization that really people need to know about and so i was really i was really pleased that that was happening it was and it was very validating for me it was like yes that is right this is wrong this behavior is wrong this sort of stuff is weird this yeah. is not the way that people should behave, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so I felt during the program, I didn't feel any negative emotions at all. 
-hmm. When I see um, a response from the Jehovah's Witnesses, which says this, courts have rejected the allegation that disfellowshipping and so-called shunning results in social isolation and discrimination. And it is simply misleading and discriminatory to imply that our religion is controlling. When I see a comment like that from the organization, that's when I get angry. Mm -hmm. That's when my blood boils, to Um, be quite honest. mm -hmm. It boils because of the, um, the misleading way that it's written. Um, and it's just like it's just like completely denying the reality. It is gaslighting, of course, and gaslighting is is infuriating when you know it's happening to you. Suddenly, you become very angry when you see that you've been gaslit. You've been told stuff that is completely and utterly ridiculous, um, and it's you're made to think that that's that's normal. Mm-hmm. Courts have rejected the allegation that disfellowshipping and so-called shunning. So so-called shunning um that straight away undermines the whole concept of what shunning is well so-called you know what's that um it's shunning um the fact that courts have rejected a case about an individual is neither here nor there it doesn't make any difference and we're not talking about courts we're talking about what's happened here mm-hmm. we're not Personal talking about experiences yeah we're not talking about a legal lots, situation so, yeah um how you can say that disfellowshipping and shunning doesn't result in social isolation is, is That's ridiculous. That's literally the point. That's that why, is the why point. Do they, why else would you do it? Exactly. That is the point. And they say that's the point because they want people to come back to the organisation. It is clearly And the they motive. isolate you before. So they isolate you before from anyone, quote, unquote, worldly. Mm. Yeah. And then they shun you. And now you have no one, literally no one. Yeah. And it is the very definition of discrimination. You are discriminating against people who are not any more members of the organisation. Yeah. This is the very definition of it. To be even, even as someone that doesn't have all of that, you know, I was never one, but mm. to be, um, you know, have certain people effectively choose to shun me even as someone that was never in it (laughs) yeah that still hurt do you know i mean that still did something to that that messed with me mentally Mm. so then if if just someone on the tertiaries can be messed with to that degree by people deciding to do some shunning then what Mm. on earth do they think it happens to people that are literally left with no one literally no one so uh, let's take a a case that um jehovah's witnesses in the main would would say is pretty open and shut so you know i don't know a a young woman um maybe maybe 16 or 17 finds herself pregnant Mm -hmm. she's not married um she's living at home with the parents um she doesn't want to get married she's she's been a witness because she's been raised in it she got baptized at 14 let's say so this is a hypothetical this is not talking about anybody in particular but this is not a it's not a it's crazy not uncommon, case. Though. No, yeah. these are cases that happen all the time. Now, I think a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses would expect that girl, that's woman, let's say, young woman, um, to be brought before a judicial committee. This is a baptized witness, baptized at 14. 
Um, she's had sex outside of marriage, um, and she's not repentant. This this young woman is likely to to be disfellowshipped. I think mm-hmm. most Jehovah's Witnesses would accept would expect that she would end up being disfellowshipped. She'd go through a judicial committee first, and then it's a pretty open and shut case um, from the elders' perspective. So she's likely to get disfellowshipped. And just then think about what that actually means to her. Mm-hmm. Now, if she's living at home, okay, she might be allowed to have what family contact because she's living in the in the home but if the parents decide that they don't want her in the house anymore which happens a lot if if you're 17 or 18 let's say then they can decide that they want to want her out the house um or if she's living outside let's say she's 18 and she lives on her own or lives with with her boyfriend or whatever then the instruction is to stop having any association with her. How is that not social isolation? Mm-hmm. Maybe she's got a boyfriend. It. Maybe she hasn't. Maybe it was a, a just a one night thing or it happened and she's broke up with the, the guy uh, for whatever reason. She now lives on her own. How is losing her family and all her friends and all the community she's ever known, how is that not social isolation? So... Yeah. To say that, that is a complete and utter lie. It's simply misleading and discriminatory to imply that our religion is controlling. So what would you call a system that isolates people from friends and family from the outside, continually encourages people not to have association with people in the world, bad associations. further education. Yeah, bad associations support useful habits. So that's drilled into you as a child, as you're growing up, you don't have a social world outside, then use that as leverage to make sure that you don't do anything that the organisation doesn't like. How is that not controlling? Mm-hmm. So that makes me angry. So I have to say that that sort of thing um, is where the whole triggering word, that's where I guess that's where it comes back. You know, you think, well, um, I have absolutely no problem in Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs. I don't agree with them. I don't believe them. And I also think that we should be allowed to criticise the beliefs and challenge them because any beliefs, even mine, yours, are fair game for criticism. As long as it's done, I think, in a a respectful way. That's my personal style. But that doesn't mean that um, you can't challenge them. But this is not that. This is lying to people and expecting us just to accept that um so yeah that's um that's that's made me angry and i guess is part of that that grief process so it's yeah. still there i guess yeah but yeah just as a final point on that as well at the end of the day it is not discrimination to expect the organization to follow up and uphold basic levels of protection for their people. I don't think that is discriminatory. If I well, joined if I joined a charity, you know, and I was effectively working 40 hours a week, you know, minimum, because that's what the pioneers are doing, you know, um, I should be I should be being checked to know if I'm, 
you know, I'm going to be working with children. I'm going to be working with vulnerable adults. Um, I'm going to be going out into the world and and speaking to lots and lots of people. Um, I should be being checked if I'm going to become an elder. I, I further scrutiny should be made to make sure that I am safe and reasonable to be around all of these vulnerable children and adults. I should also um, our practices and procedures need to be checked, looked at, made sure they are acceptable. Yeah, I can't just say, well, we don't do shunning. And even if we did, it's fine. Yeah, You can't audit yourself and then lie about it. No, that's right. And um, the, they're claiming that um, it's discriminatory to imply that their religion is controlling um no. so so what's um, an interesting development here um now i i've i'm going off the work of uh, avoidjw.org here so again um my uh, i want to i want to reference that um, that website what's happened is on the website on jw avoidjw.org website um it's come to light that it seems that the organization has withdrawn a couple of videos. Mm. So um, what happens is now this is, this is different to when I was a witness, because when I was a witness, there wasn't any broadcasting, generally broadcasting or anything. And the assemblies were all just at, at football grounds. But um, now they have this organization, uh, this broadcasting wing so jw broadcasting and so they put a lot of the films the dramas the little movies on the website and they also send to various places the what's going to be the dramas the the little movies um and my understanding and i i I can't personally i'm not an investigative reporter so i can't confirm this from my own studies but my understanding from reading jw avoid jw.org is that two videos that were sent to the elders um have now been withdrawn and a, le- a confidential letter went round to the elders to say uh, we're withdrawing these videos and basically keep them to yourselves but of course um within the organization there are people who are still elders but are leaking information which is amazing um, and these videos have come to light and you can see them on avoidjw.org you can watch them they're very short but what these videos demonstrate so part of the assembly um talks will be about this subject about uh disfellowshipping and how you should treat people who disfellowship the videos are about a young woman whose mother has been disfellowshipped and just like the previous example, which we saw a few years ago, where the, the teenage daughter trying to call her parents and they ignore the phone, we have the same sort of thing. But this time it's her mum that's ringing. So her mum, she can see that it's her mum on the phone. You can see that it's her. She ignores it. Um, and we then listen to a voicemail message of her mum saying, please pick up, please, I want to talk to you. And we hear the voice inside this young woman's head saying, you know, maybe I should talk to her. Maybe I could help her to come back, you know. But the message is to be loyal, to be patient, and wait upon Jehovah and don't do anything that would um, interfere with this important thing that is disfellowshipping. 
So there's a couple of videos around that. I strongly recommend anybody that hasn't seen those videos yet to check them out on avoidjw.org. Um, the problem for Jehovah's Witnesses, if they try to deny these things exist, um, then, you know, that's uh, in itself quite a... Well, they're there for everybody to see. I think it's highly unlikely that anybody could reproduce those things. So they're not denying that they exist. Um, so, yeah, I think that's um, that's pretty interesting. And, and it suggests that the organisation are starting to get quite concerned about what's being said. Uh, but then to have a statement like that, that it doesn't result in social isolation when your own videos are demonstrating that that is the very point, and you know this, that's why you take them down, this is extraordinary. It's just beggar's belief. It does beggar belief, yeah. Okay, there's there's another, there's another um, bit of news that's been doing the rounds on social media, and I, I'm, I've hesitated whether to talk about this because I can't find the exact um, page the website that it comes from um but it sounds so much like them it, so on twitter there's a, a page that looks like it's from the mail online and um it's a response from jehovah's witnesses to the rebecca vardy um documentary but this is what it says it says to our understanding mrs vardy herself has never been one of jehovah's witnesses we are therefore troubled at the attempt to link Jehovah's Witnesses with what happened to her, and find the assertion that elders hushed up her abuse absurd. Such irresponsible misrepresentation of the facts risks stirring up hatred against our minority religion. Our religious publications have never discouraged congregants from reporting allegations of child abuse to the statutory authorities. So this really does sound like the organisation. And yet again, I'm full of rage because, I mean, we, a small podcast in, in terms of size, mm. um, have interviewed how many people that have experienced abuse and have had it hushed up, mm. us as a smaller group. Like, how, how many people do you have to talk to before you find one that was abused and was hushed up? Not many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and... I, I you know they need to they they would need to follow up that evidence and find out wouldn't they because the, the idea that any organization can say that it's absurd absurd to think that we would hush this up but by uh, its very nature the two witness rule yeah but works but, to, to hush things <laughs> yeah but but that, that's a, that's a very there's lots of factors mm. to that but before we get into that look if i'm if i'm the head of a scout group or if i'm the head of a, a little charity somewhere and somebody makes a claim like that mm. i cannot say that it is absurd that that never happened or that things weren't hushed up because i don't know no. <laughs> so they need to investigate that if they're going to investigate it then they can put forth evidence and say this is what happened this is how the mm -hmm. procedures worked this is how it was followed up mm -hmm. so you, you can't say that about any organization that it's absurd it's a it's an accusation that would need to be investigated yeah. you can't just dismiss it before you've done your investigation which is essentially what they're saying here yeah of course now 
yeah, you can get into the the two witness rule. But also, and all it's of that. it's just the larger scale of what they do anyway. So yeah, the, the smaller scale is the the individual elders hushed it up. The larger scale is the organisation wants to hush it up with that statement. No, and always we, we can't say whether it was the individual elders that did something yeah. or whether it was um, due to what had been told them by the legal yeah, and branch also, like, or cultural situation and all yeah, this. So, you know, we've discussed it with people that have experienced yeah. this and the largest picture. But you know, I mean, in terms of like it, it, it is being hushed up on a smaller scale, and they are trying to hush it up on a larger scale. And that statement does nothing but verify that for me. Well, that's the, that's it. It kind of makes the point everybody but the thing that really annoys me so the thing that really angers me is to our understanding mrs vardy herself has never been one of jehovah's witnesses Mm. now that that is i guess supposed to be saying that she was never baptized um when you're raised as a jehovah's witness as a child you're considered to be a jehovah's witness you consider yourself a jehovah's witness um, I remember the song, We're Jehovah's Witnesses, We Speak Out in Fearlessness. I can't imagine us all singing, We're Jehovah's Witnesses, We Speak Out in Fearlessness, apart from the people that are not baptised yet. You know, we are we are Jehovah's Witnesses. As children, we go into the school as Jehovah's mm-hmm. Witnesses. We, we're always giving a witness as a child. We're that always was giving a witness. <laughs> exactly. You know, I considered myself a Jehovah's Witness. Now, yes, of course, um, baptism is a special thing in that you make a public declaration that you're now dedicating yourself to Jehovah and so on yeah. and so on. But the idea that children are not considered Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses is ridiculous. And, and anyway, it, what has that got to do with anything? Nothing. And because also, it's yeah. the it's the adult who is involved. That is the accusation. It's not the child of somebody that's going to meetings. It's the fact that she is saying that somebody in that organization as a Jehovah's Witness assaulted her. That's what we should care about. Mm-hmm. And and also, just because you're not baptized doesn't mean they don't hold you to all of the same standards mm. anyway. We've spoken to people that were not baptized that were still shunned yeah. and effectively disfellowshipped like they weren't officially called that because they weren't baptized but they were shunned you know they were it was encouraged not to talk to them and so on and so on um yeah again i'm always careful though to try and separate mm-hmm. what happens in practice to what happened mm-hmm. what their policies are because yeah. it's much easier to prove that they're lying when you look at their policies because their very mm. policies say it now absolutely i agree that in reality people are are shunned whether they're disfellowshipped or not mm-hmm. you know that that's done and whether they went and got dunked or not <laughs> yes absolutely yeah you know um at, at times at other times it doesn't so you know there is um mm-hmm. an element of um depends where you are depends what congregation you're in depends and so forth. but what it doesn't what doesn't depend is when it comes what's to literally written down yeah what's what's in the policy mm-hmm. so in this case it's irrelevant whether she was baptized or not. She was a child being raised in a Jehovah's Witness household. Her claim is that she was sexually abused Mm -hmm. as a child. Mm -hmm. Now, they can deny that if they want to. Again, they need to investigate those claims if they're going to deny that properly. Um, But what they can't do is, is pretend that, hold their hands up and say, well, I'm sorry, but she was never a Jehovah's Witness. It's got nothing to do with us. And to say so is 
um, what does it say? And to say so is a misrepresentation of the facts. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's... So I, I guess um, most listeners to our podcast are not used to us talking like this, and I don't normally talk like this, but I think it, it's, it's ironic because it's not the documentary that has riled me up mm. like this. It's the responses from the organisation that mm. have made me so angry. Now, if somebody comes to me and tells me that that um, response, that letter or that response that was apparently given to the mail online isn't true that that was put together by somebody else then i will apologize and that's fine um I, i'm happy to do so um so okay i won't say a but i i it's, it's clear i will apologize if that mm. turns out it's not actually from the organization um i'd like to know yeah. who it was from though i would like to say as well to that um i think it's from their point, the reason it is ang angering to me is it's the clever use of language mm. here. Because if you are not well informed with yeah. how they work, that sounds like they're suggesting she was never a JW, like yeah. she never had anything to do with it. That's so right. you've been able to read that and understand they meet, they probably mean baptism. Whereas when you read that to me, then I thought they were trying to insinuate she never had anything to do and it's entirely, mm. completely made up. Yeah. Like that she's just telling a story and she yeah. does she was never a JW. Um so again to the uninitiated, um, you know, and like you said, it, this pot this this um this show has reached to many people that you know, the wider mm. audience, they could read that and think, mm. oh, is she completely lying and she was That's never right. a Jehovah's Witness? This is mm. just a, a a story. So technically that they might be saying something true and that she might not have been baptized. But like you said, in practice, she still was and all of that. But like, if you don't know, you might not understand what, how they're using that. It's like yeah. this multi-layered messing, you know. It is. And um, it's, it's, I think it steps over the line of lying because mm -hmm. in their numbers, when they say how many Jehovah's Witnesses are there, they, 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 the they include the publishers who are children. So mm -hmm. um, we are told that eight and a half million people around the world are Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, many of those include children who are being raised as Jehovah's Witnesses. So if we are to to knock them out of the numbers, then, you you know, I don't know what that would be, but yeah. I could estimate that you're probably going to lose, a, I don't know, a million and a half um, mm. at, at least mm. um, of people who are not baptised. Well, if you're not baptised, you're not a Jehovah's Witness, then um, then change the, the way that you report your numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, uh, the, the other thing that, that came out, which hasn't received as much... Um, sort of publicity for obvious reasons because uh rebecca vardy is a well-known name but a really interesting article appeared in the, the the daily mail um by our friend heather ransom so heather ransom dr heather ransom i should say has been on our podcast before i think you missed her actually celine i think you're away so i and i interviewed heather um and it is actually the one podcast episode that we recorded on YouTube um, because we recorded it on Zoom. And I said to her, well, would you mind if we if we just kept the, the video? Because we don't normally use the video. Uh, it's all purely audio. But on that one, we just thought, well, why not? You know, and so we put it out on video. So you can actually watch that interview with me and 
Heather. So Heather did a interview with the Daily Mail, and it is a really big interview with lots of stuff about her life, about her studies as she left the organisation, became uh, did her PhD and became a doctor. Um, and it's interesting that her art, she's written two academic papers that are available. I'll put the links in the show notes. They are really interesting. Obviously, they're academic papers, so the the, the style of writing is academic, but um, still there's lots in there I think everybody could recognise. Um, one of the papers is called Grieving the Living, the Social Death of Former Jehovah's Witnesses. And this brings us back to the topic of grief, I think. Um, so this is uh, Grieving the Living is a quote from one of her participants who talks about her experience of losing people who are still alive and it is i think we've said before it's almost like a some sort of sick zombie movie where the the people you love are still there you can see them you might bump into them or see them in the shopping center or um you might drive past them as they're in their garden or whatever but they refuse to talk to you so they're dead to you you're dead to them um but they still exist in the world. So this grieving the living, I think, is incredibly powerful. So that's one of her papers, which is a qualitative paper. So that's a paper that she's interviewed people, and it's kind of a long-form interview. Um, and then there's a quantitative paper that's called Life After Social Death, Leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses, Identity, Transition and Recovery. We have talked to her about those papers. I've spoken to her on that interview. So I'll, again, I recommend you you check that out. It's a fantastic piece of work, actually. And it's great to see her in the newspaper. So well done, Heather. It's fantastic to see that. So I'm so excited to see that. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a big, big year, really, or last sort of 12 months even, because, yeah, Ali Miller's yeah. book as well. Yeah. Yeah, Ali, of course, was on the, the Rebecca Vardy thing um, mm -hmm. as well. So it's lovely mm -hmm. to see her on that. Yeah. Um, I said I wasn't going to start naming everybody that was on it, but because uh, mm -hmm. um, I know I'll, I'll miss some people out. But there's lots of people I recognise and know yeah. and consider friends. So it was it was wonderful. Let's bring it to a bit of a close, Celine. We've, we've started with grief. We've gone to anger. Um, I suppose they're the two emotions that we've, we've kind of uh, laid bare today. Mm. Um, we don't normally, if you're the first time you've listened to this podcast, we don't normally have rants like this. This is kind of unusual. I love that this is our version of a rant. Like, it's still so chill. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know. It's like, what was that? It's like the most pathetic rant ever. It just feels it, very English. It, it feels is, incredibly yeah. English. Like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah I'm so sorry yeah. about that. So, so sorry about that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. But I, I don't. It's not the sort of podcast I want to to do week in week out because I, I I do like to to talk about all sorts of different topics. But yeah, it is um, it is nevertheless important to hit on these sorts of now things and again. periodically. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, okay. So um, we've got lots of exciting things coming up. Let's yeah. end on a positive. And note. can I just say positively, mm. this podcast was brought to you by the patrons. Um, mm. So we uh, we actually have a regular meet up with our patrons. And we were chatting and um, about topics and things we could talk about, and grief came up. Um, That's right. So is. thank mm. you, patrons, for sort of suggesting the topic of grief. I hope that it was everything you hoped it would be. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, uh, 
if if, the, if we've missed stuff, mm. find out from the patrons and they'll tell us, and maybe we'll come back with some more. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, if you want to kind of be a part of, I guess, shaping the podcast, um, then please do join our patrons because a there's the community page on Facebook, but also on Patreon itself, mm. and we do have those like um, sort of monthly catch ups where we all go on zoom and just chat together so it's like the podcast except it's live and we're all chatting together that's right um so if you'd like to kind of get involved with that then please do um and then yeah you can join us and yeah help us with topics yeah that that would be really nice um yeah it's it's one of the it's one of the things that just organizing it sometimes can be tricky but after we've done the zoom call it's it's one of the the bits that just sort of warms your heart the people are so mm-hmm. lovely and um there's such a great lovely group of people so mm-hmm. yeah it's um it's great we do really appreciate and it is you know we don't have a large patron following um it's it's just nice to have that little group that that um that help as you say shape shape the podcast as they do mm-hmm. um also coming up is somebody from nexium so susan Dones is coming on the podcast. Well, we've already um, done that interview, actually. So looking forward to letting you listen to that. So lots of great stuff coming up. All positive. Let's end on that positive note. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and um, see you again next week. Bye. Bye.